Well, young, young ones that are here in the sanctuary with us this morning, if you brought your journal with you this morning, would you hold it up in the air? I want to I see if we remember them. I did not remember mine this morning. I left it either downstairs in my office. Awesome. Good, good. Great to see it. Now, listen, here's the thing. When I wrote, uh, spent time studying and, and, and preparing my sermon this morning, I said, you know what? I'm going to go through and count how many times I mentioned Jesus' name in the sermon. Well, I didn't get that far. I didn't, I didn't actually count it, but I'm counting on you to tell me how many times I mentioned Jesus' name in this sermon today, okay? So I want to see, I want you to come up and find me after the service and, and let me know. I'll be able to look back at my notes and, and tell you if you're right or wrong, but, but I'll be counting on you. So whether it's making a little star, in the, for you, those of you who have the younger journal, making a little star next to Jesus' name or a little heart or a smiley face, Every time I say Jesus, it's completely up to you, uh, but I hope that you will be able to correct me and tell me how many times I called on Jesus' name in our passage this morning. The passage that we'll be looking at this morning is from the very end of Matthew chapter 7 and into the first few verses of Matthew chapter 8, and uh, church, we're going to be beginning uh, a new series with this passage. We're going to be beginning a new summer series, or half the summer series, called Staycation. And, and, and it's interesting because Staycation feels kind of like a new word to me. I didn't grow up knowing what Staycation was, but it's, uh, it's a series we're going to be exploring over the next five weeks together. You know, when I was growing up in, in upstate New York, it seemed like every family would travel to Myrtle Beach for spring break, right? Every family but mine. We'll go, to, we'll go to the Myrtle Beach. And I thought, man, what am I missing out on? I'm doing something wrong. There's something wrong here. I should be, I'm supposed to go away. I'm supposed to go down to Myrtle Beach. But what I didn't realize was all the treasures and adventures I would find in experiencing vacation right where we lived, right? That, that maybe I wasn't supposed to go far away. Maybe there was a vacation for me right there where I grew up and where I lived. So what I learned was you don't have to go far away. You don't have to go to a faraway place to experience vacation. Church, with what you may know is that in a similar way, we're going to be learning as a community that you don't have to go far away to share the life-changing news of Jesus Christ. Right? We are familiar with this idea of supporting missions through the, to the ends of the earth. We're familiar with the Great Commission, but what I think we miss in that, of being so focused on the goal of reaching the ends of the earth, is the fact that we have opportunities right here in our own backyard to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples that he, they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and I think you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we find this easier to focus on the ends of the earth, to, to kind of support those missions that are going to the ends of the earth, to say, yeah, we, 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 we have lots of missionaries that are serving in, in these far-off lands. It almost gives us a bit of relief to think that we've got that box checked as a church, right? But that doesn't give us permission to overlook the opportunities that God has given us in our own backyard. When we, when we look at what it means to serve him right where we live. So I think this is an important uh, aspect for us to understand of what it means to be a growing follower of Jesus. 
You know, in our discipleship pathway, the, the pathway that we've determined is important to growing as a follower of Jesus. We recognize what it means to love God. We just spend the last eight weeks exploring falling in love with God's sovereignty and his power and his authority over all the, the kings of the earth. But that's not enough, right? That's, that's not what it means to be a disciple is just to stay there. We need to keep growing. We need to expand our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And part of what it means to follow Jesus is learning to love others. And the greatest love we can show the others who are in our own backyard is to share with them the life-changing news of Jesus and how we ourselves found Jesus and the kind of work he's done in our lives to grow us and to transform us. And so this morning, we're going to begin by exploring this passage in Matthew chapter 7 and chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be studying Matthew chapter 7 verse 28 through to Matthew chapter 8 verse 3. Kids, go ahead and write that down in your journal if you want to. Matthew chapter 7 Verse 28 to Matthew chapter 8, sorry, verse 4, not verse 3. This is a passage that we find Jesus has just kind of completed his Sermon on the Mount, one of the more famous sermons in the Bible where he's on the hillside and he's teaching his disciples about life in the kingdom of God and, and, and it's coming and, and, and what to expect and how to live in the kingdom and, and how to be a follower of Jesus, how to be one of his disciples and then we, we catch this as he's coming down off the mountain with his disciples in verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you have spoken your, uh, your into creation not just us, but you, you've revealed yourself to us in speaking forth this creation and speaking forth your word. Father, this, you, your word, your spoken word is our highest authority, and we trust it, Lord. So make it real to us this morning. Make, help us to understand it. Help this to be about you this morning and how you call us to follow you in a faith-based commitment day by day by day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, as I, was, as, as I mentioned this idea of staycation, the reason why this is so important to me to, to kind of share this idea with you is because you are in a much better place to share the good news of Jesus Christ with your neighbors than I ever will be in this pulpit. Why? Because it's the people in your own backyard that you have an opportunity to have a relationship with. This pulpit is a great place to proclaim and uphold and, and, and to, to value the word of God. But practically speaking, it becomes something of a barrier in terms of drawing near to people. But that's not so for you when you meet with people in your own backyard, getting to know them, 
Now see, if your neighbors are not already attending a church or they're not already connected to Christ, there's a very high likelihood that they'll never walk through the doors of a church where they can hear the teachings of Christ proclaimed. They're, they're, they're more likely to be introduced to Jesus through you. Paul writes in Romans uh, chapter 10, he says, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This passage wasn't about pastors in the pulpit or preachers. This passage was about the people of God going forth and, and being able to just talk about Jesus, the, the role that he plays in their life and how he's shaped their life going forward. See, sharing Jesus with our neighbors involves both word and deed. It involves going to them, being in a relationship with them, as well as giving voice to what Jesus teaches and, and how you're obeying him. There's a little quip that I heard a long time ago that, that there are really two main reasons why someone does not believe in Jesus. One, they've never met a Christ follower. And two, they have met a Christ follower, right? I mean, the, the, kind of the, the, the humor in this is that Christians can behave badly sometimes, can't we? And so we can be the reason why people don't come to follow Christ. But also, they, there are people who have never met someone who follows Jesus. I've had uh, people who came by the church to pick something up or do something, and they walk in there and they say, what's that room with the drum set in it? And I think, wow. I, I mean, this is, this is not a, maybe this was a judgmental thought. It wasn't intended to be a judgmental thought, but it, it made me realize that what seems so commonsensical to me, did I just make up a word? I think I made up a word, commonsensical, commonsensible? Anyway, point is, what seems like common sense to me is not necessarily common sense to this world. And so there are some people who've just never met a follower of Christ to know what it means to be a Christian. See, our, our world needs to hear what Jesus actually teaches, but they also need to see Jesus' teaching at work in a person's life, moving, breathing, transforming, growing in a person. Nowadays, I, I'm not sure that many people have a clear understanding of what Christianity is. And see, I, what scares me most is that those people who have a misunderstanding of Christianity have it because they've witnessed a Christ follower behaving badly. They, they've witnessed someone not reflecting the character of Christ. What, what they care about is not how much you know about God. What matters most to them is how much your character reflects the character of Christ. Church, I think it's not wrong for us to kind of step into that uncomfortable place of asking, does our character truly reflect the God of the Bible? Not just are we people who can say we know who the God of the Bible is because we can tell you the stories that are in the Bible. 
But have we made that commitment like we proclaim in the Apostles' Creed that says, I believe into, I am committed to walking with and trusting in God. He is my highest authority. I don't think we, <laughs> I mean, the church is full of broken people, right? And that's why we're here, because we realize the only way that we will not be broken is if the life-transforming work of Jesus takes over our life, right? But yet, in our brokenness, sometimes we don't reflect the life that we've come to know and love, the life of Jesus, you know, another reason that many people don't have a clear understanding of what Christianity is, why your neighbors might not know what Christianity really is, is because they've heard a narrative about Christianity that's not true. They, they, they've been shaped by an authority, whether it's pop culture or the media or, or politicians that tell us what Christianity is, but they're not accurate in their depiction of what Christianity is. But because they're in a place of authority, our neighbors tend to believe them. And what scares me about this is our neighbors need not hear what someone else thinks Christianity is. They need to be exposed to Jesus' own claims, his own words, his own teaching. And the best way for them to hear that is not to, to get them to come into the doors of this church because likely, in all likelihood, they won't come through the doors of this church, but in all likelihood, they will meet with you in their backyard or in your backyard. And you have a chance to tell them what Jesus really says and what Jesus truly lived for and who Jesus truly is. So I think the, the faulty aspect of that understanding of Christianity is believing in other people when they don't do the work of understanding what Jesus' claims are himself. Church, what I want us to see from our passage this morning is that you and I are a part of a grassroots campaign, a grassroots campaign to spread the fame of Jesus, the orthodox, true, actual fame of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Not necessarily the reputation that the world has given him, but who he actually is. Our first job is to make the fame of Jesus heard and seen in Fairfield and Bridgeport and Trumbull and Shelton and Norwalk, Westport and, and so on, so that people can, can actually go to him and hear his teaching for themselves. Our world needs to hear the powerful transformation that happened in your life when you came to the point of trusting in Jesus as your king and your authority. See, at the end of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus had just wrapped up this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, that he, that he would, had been giving to his disciples, this smaller circle of his followers that he was teaching and training to, to, kind of, to go out and share the news of the kingdom of God. But guess what? What we're told at the end of Matthew chapter 7 was not so much about the disciples' response, but the response of the crowds of people that were listening in to Jesus as he's teaching his disciples. Matthew chapter 7 says that after Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowd was astonished at these sayings. They were, they were awestruck. They were amazed. They were overwhelmed by his teaching 
that he had just shared with his disciples. Because why? Because he taught as one with authority, unlike his scribes. He, he taught as one with authority. Now, the scribes were these religious law experts who, who were expected to have a firm grasp on what the law was so that they could teach it to others. But they were not interpreters of the scriptures. They were not, they were not like, they were not taking the scriptures and saying, this is what it means in this day and age. They were just, they were the, the kind of the middleman. Here's what the law says, now go and do it, right? But when Jesus taught, when Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches very differently from them. Because it doesn't just say, here's what the, the law of Moses says. Jesus says over and over again, you can read it, it's in Matthew 5 to, to the end of Matthew 7. Jesus says over and over again, you have heard it said. You can look back at the law, in other words, but I say to you. See, the scribes, were their, their role was built on tradition, on repeating the, the patterns of the past. But Jesus steps in as one who has authority over tradition and says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, do this, right? Now, hear me when I say this. Jesus doesn't contradict the law. He doesn't rewrite the law. He brings greater clarity to the law for his followers. He's one who has enough authority to say, listen, I know that you've gotten used to doing things this way, but that's not what the law means and what it intended. You have heard the law say this, but I say to you that it actually means this. And so when Jesus taught, he did more than just recite what the law said and did more than just say what the, what the scriptures had said. He sets himself as, as authority over the tradition. And this authority was not just witnessed in his teaching, but in his actions as well. Jesus exhibited the law. He exhibited his teaching, not just in the words he proclaimed on the Sermon on the Mount, but in the, the, the actions that he portrayed in front of people. His ministry was one of word and deed, right? Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 tells us, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And what happened? So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. See, church, there is, there's an authority here that Jesus exhibits in his words and in his deeds. And we live in a day and age where we as a people wrestle with authority, don't we? We, we, we live in a day and age that really struggles with authority. We struggle to know who we are to follow. We've been let down by leaders who we trusted with authority. We've, we've been let down by pastors or by politicians, by, by parents or by teachers. We've been let down by people who at their very core are broken themselves, by the way, 
who are infected with the very same disease that you and I are, def- are, are infected with, this thing called sin, of living in opposition to God, turning their backs on God and being led by another God, right? But here's the thing, our culture, the, the day and age we're living in right now, our culture's answer to this problem of, of, of not knowing who to place our authority in has been to place authority in each individual person. We live today in a day that, that gives more authority to the individual than ever before. If you can't, in other words, we're saying if you can't trust people with power and authority, then there's no one to trust but yourself, right? And, and this has resulted in a culture that worships the self and worships autonomy. You know, even back in the 90s, I think it was the 90s, there, there was a Sheryl Crow song, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad, right? I mean, I, I, think that, I think that was Sheryl Crow. But it's just, you, you hear that, 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 that little bit of cultural anthem, the value of the culture. If it makes you happy, it can't be bad. Do you hear that? You are the source of the definition of good and bad. Your happiness is the definition of the source of good and bad. There, there, there was a, a, a while back, uh, there was a slogan, you only live once, Right? In other words, like, you only live once. You, the emphasis is on you. Your life matters because you only live once. So do whatever makes you happy, right? Live life to the extreme because you only got one shot at it. It's all about you, right? Or live your truth. That's, that's more contemporary, you know. I got to live my truth or, or, or I got I to go by my truth, right? Truth is not grounded in you. Truth That capital T truth transcends you. It transcends your life. It's actually a part of this overall order of creation. But we don't, we miss that in thinking the truth is grounded in me. My, 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 right? Now, I know I'm oversimplifying things, but but even a philosophy for developing technology is driven more by how to make life easier and more enjoyable for the self, right? I mean, we, selfies were not a thing when I was growing up, right? I mean, I, we had to develop film when I was growing up, so I don't, we, we could try and take a selfie, but we wouldn't know until like a week later if that came out or not, right? Selfies, right, they're, 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 they're innocuous, they, they're, they're, they seem harmless, right? But gently and slowly, they begin to shape the value of our culture in our own hearts and minds. I matter most, right? See, I think this is the fundamental problem in our world today. It's, the world is not about me. And, and this should be a refreshing thing for us, church. Because when we make it about us, we're never satisfied. We always feel like we're missing out, or, or that there's more we could do, or there's more that we can reach for. Or we, we don't measure up to what, we're, what we think we're supposed to be. We're never satisfied. But when you realize that your purpose and your meaning lies outside of yourself and someone greater than you, the God of all creation, then it gets exciting. Because no matter what your circumstances say, your life is used for God's kingdom and his purposes. But when we make it all about ourselves and our own happiness, uh, philosophically speaking, the, the chaos we see in this world only gets worse 
because the, the culture is largely driven by a focus on the individual. And then we have the masses. We're all looking to do what's best for us rather than our neighbors and the people around us. So when we truly give our attention and our hearts to Jesus, when, when we truly trust him as our authority and say that, that he is the one we are committed to, then his life and teaching, they, they wash over us like a cool breeze in a hot day. Why? Because in his teaching and in his life, we realize that Jesus holds, he's the seat of authority in this world and in the next. And he has an authority over all creation. And it's in him that we find our connection to the meaning of life, our, the meaning of our life and life in general, overall. So before we move on, before I, I move on to the next part of our passage, let me be clear about something. We are not Jesus. We are not expected to teach as one with authority like Jesus did. When you think about meeting with your neighbors, spending time with them, building a relationship with them, you are not Jesus. You are not expected to be one who teaches with authority like Jesus. Instead, you and I have been commissioned to spread the fame of Jesus. And this begins not in some distant land, but in our own backyard. Matthew tells us that great crowds followed Jesus as he walked down the mountainside after preaching this Sermon on the Mount. Great crowds of people, they just overheard what he was saying, and they were Amazed, they were awed, they were, they were captivated by his teaching. That, that, that he presented a way of living and being and believing that was different from what they'd heard. And they said, I gotta hear more. His teaching evokes curiosity and a desire to, to know more. And the funny thing is, this crowd, they weren't even the ones to whom Jesus was addressing his sermon. Right, they were... They were merely overhearing what was going on. So church, I have to ask you, who's close enough to you in your life that they're able to see and hear Jesus at work in your life? Who is close enough in you, to you in your life to overhear Jesus' teachings, his words at work in your life? Now, understand something. I, I don't think we're being told to be the best expositors of Scripture here in this passage. I, 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 think, I think we're actually being taught how to listen to Jesus' teachings and have people close enough to us in our life that they can overhear Jesus teaching us and shaping us and calling us to discipleship. I'm not talking about you know, your Facebook friends who can see your posts online. I'm not talking about your neighbors who can drive by your yard and see a flag out front or a, a, a poster board in your yard. I'm talking about the people you break bread with. I'm, I'm talking about the people who, who know the circumstances of your life. They know what you're working through. And, and, and they know how you're trusting in Jesus to guide you through that time. Now, I, I know we, 
New Englanders, we, we don't love to open up our world to other people. We don't like to open up our heart. And I'm not telling you to, to be an open book to everyone in your life. But there are people, there are neighbors, there are people close to you who need to hear about how Jesus is at work in your life. They, they don't need you to go into their life and tell them what they need to do. They need to, they need to see the fame of Jesus. They need to see and hear what Jesus can do and what he is doing in your life. They need to be astonished by that. And so when people get a chance to hear the fame and the importance of Jesus, they're gonna seek him out for themselves. That was the crowd's response to overhearing what Jesus was saying to his disciples. They were astonished and they followed him down the mountainside and they went with him. They wanted to see and hear more. They wanted to explore Jesus' teachings for themselves. They didn't want to take it at at the scribe's word as to what the law says. They wanted to hear it for themselves and evaluate it for themselves. One example of how Jesus' fame had spread is found in the first few verses of Matthew chapter 8. So if we look at verses 2 and 3 together, we read this. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. See, the the fame of Jesus had spread enough to to capture the ears of this leper. To know enough that says, hey, if you, just if you desire, Lord, you can make me clean. Right? And that, that fame caused this man to draw near to Jesus, to come looking, to seek Jesus out, and, and to see for himself who Jesus was. But church, if we were to look at this passage for ourselves and, and, and to put, put our lenses on and to explore the, the passage and what it means for us, I think it means serving our neighbors in our very own backyard will require that we cast off the stigmas that we've come to believe, the social and religious stigmas that, that, that cause us to, to kind of stiff arm our neighbors or, or, or to, to not get to know them, to draw near, to, 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 to be close to them, right? We, we come to understand that, that Jesus is an example for us in this passage of what it means to squash those, those stigmas in drawing near to someone. See, <clears throat> sorry, in his days, in Jesus' in ministry in his days, leprosy was one of those stigmas. It, it, was, it was this generalized skin disorder that oftentimes wasn't curable, right? And, and so, so people were disgusted by it. They were repelled by it. They would cross on the other side of the street if they saw someone. In fact, they were taught from the law that that those with leprosy were supposed to live outside the camp of Israel. And that law had had been transferred into this this more modern era of Jesus' ministry and and still lived out in the way that, that it was originally written as written in Leviticus 13. 
There we read, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now keep in mind, the context for Leviticus is in the ritualistic laws of worship given to the people of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. Not just their ritualistic religious rules, but also the way that they maintained health and, and, and cleanliness in this camp of people who traveled together, lived together, moved together throughout the wilderness. So its meaning in the wilderness has a, has a slightly different application than it would in a settled village, a settled city around Jerusalem and this established temple. Not to say that they mean different things, but they can be applied differently, which is what Jesus does. He says, this is not reason for us to, to be repulsed by this person that has a skin disease and to hold them at arm's length and to keep them away. You don't have to be afraid of catching some disease and then, not, then, then disregard or ignore the need of this broken and needy person. You need not be so focused on your own self and your own, your own ritual cleanliness that you miss the need of, the, of your very neighbor in your midst. So this man with leprosy, he suffered. He suffered not just physically with this ailment, but, but he, he suffered the shame of public ridicule and isolation being forced to live outside the camp. You know, for those of you who came down with COVID over the last couple of years, maybe you experienced a, a, a slightly similar experience. Maybe people weren't so vocal about how, how they felt towards you if they knew you had COVID, but maybe you were afraid that they were going to treat you like a leper if they heard you had COVID, right? Even if you weren't with them, even if, you know, I'm terrified of, of, of vomiting, right? Like that's like my deepest, darkest fear to the point where if I talk to someone on the phone who said they just threw up, I'm like, oh no, I'm going to get it, Right? It's an irrational fear. I get it, right? But, it, but, it's, but it's a real fear. And it causes me to selfishly be concerned about my own well-being rather than the person who's sick, right? We've done that similarly with those with, who've had COVID. Not only do you feel like people look at you like, like, ooh, stay away from that person. They had COVID. But then you have to go and isolate yourself for 10 days. You have to go stay in your room for 10 days. And, and there's something spiritually demeaning about being isolated like that for 10 days days. This man didn't have 10 days to be isolated. It was a life sentence for him to be, to be shunned from the community, to live outside the village. See, in these two verses of Matthew 8, Jesus challenges the cultural taboos of his day and what it means to come near to people in their pain and brokenness. Jesus causes the people to kind of consider, what, are, are, we, are we applying the, the scriptures accurately and truly that, that align with the heart of God? Jesus didn't have to actually touch this leper to heal him, right? There are examples, in fact, there's an example later on in the chapter where Jesus isn't even with the person and he makes them well. Jesus didn't have to touch this man, this man with leprosy to heal him, and yet he does. Why? to challenge the cultural taboo 
of what it means to come near to a man with leprosy. Like the, the story of the Good Samaritan, many people move away from the ugliness of, of, of brokenness and sickness. They cross over to the other side to, to maintain their own ritual purity, to, to, make sure, to make sure they don't get it, that they don't become sick or broken because this, this broken person might infect them too. And yet Jesus looks upon this man with leprosy and has compassion on him. That's the heart of God, to look upon a people and have compassion on them. We hear it in the, the Good Samaritan story. We see it here in, in, in Matthew chapter 8. Compassion, church. This is what we need for our neighbors. This is what it means to, to, to start here, to seek a heart of compassion for those in our own backyard. To not be frustrated because they're not cutting their lawn quick enough or, or, or because they cut us off on the road or because they, they ate our sandwich in the refrigerator at work or something like that. But to, but to seek a heart of compassion. See, I think we have a ton of cultural taboos even today. You know, it used to be that if you had a divorce, you, were, you, were, you felt like an, a, a leper in the church. The people of God treated you like a leper because you went through a divorce. Now, in addition to those who have been divorced, there are people who struggle with same-sex attraction. There, there are those who are ashamed of, of struggling with addictions to, to alcohol or drugs or even porn. There, there are people who feel shunned and abandoned by Jesus and his church. There are those who wrestle with their gender identity. There are those even who have had an abortion and are afraid to say anything out of fear of judgment, rejection, and isolation, much like the man with leprosy had. See, here's the thing. Whether they're justified or not in their feelings doesn't really matter. Whether we really do or do not judge them and reject them doesn't really matter. The truth of the matter is that they feel rejected by the church, and to them, Jesus feels like a judgmental, condescending, and cold religious leader rather than the compassionate, patient, gracious, and loving Savior that he is. Church, we've got some work to do. We can't give up. We've got some work to do. Jesus doesn't crinkle his nose at people who don't share the same beliefs and values as those of the historic Christian faith. Jesus gets close enough to them. He touches them. He, he gets close enough to them so that they can hear the desire of his heart. Here in Matthew 8, the leper says to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. In other words, if you desire to, Lord, you can make me clean. If that's what you want, right? And look at what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. This man, he needed to be, he needed to be physically healed, yes. But he needed to hear what the heart of God was. I will. I desire to make you whole. I desire to heal you. 
See, I think we need to understand Jesus has authority to heal both body and soul. But more importantly, he wants to. He desires to. There is a world of people out there who don't know this about God, who don't know this about Jesus. They don't understand that Jesus wants to heal, wants to make them whole, wants to restore them. They have this view of God that is one of judgmentalism, condescension, and cold distance. These are the neighbors we need to go to. See, to be missional in your own backyard, we can't alienate others. No, instead we need to invite them into our lives so they can be close enough to see Jesus' work in your life, so they can be close enough to hear Jesus say, I will, I desire to make you whole. And lastly, if you want to see the families of our neighborhoods overwhelmed by and transformed by the love of Jesus, then living in obedience to God's word has to be a priority to you, for you. See, your obedience to God's word is your testimony to God's authority in your life. Hear me when I say this. Your neighbors don't need to hear what you know about God. Your neighbors need to see your obedience to God because it's your testimony of God's authority in your life. After Jesus heals the leper, he tells him to go and offer the gift prescribed in the law to the priests as proof that he was now clean. Jesus doesn't break the Mosaic law in healing this man. He doesn't contradict it. He doesn't say, nope, the law is wrong. Let me tell you what, it really, what, what really the truth is. He actually upholds the law. In healing this man, he says, don't go out there and tell people about what I did. Just go and be obedient to the law. Do what the law says. Follow God's word. He invites the man to, to live in obedience to God's word. The, the word used here for proof, to go and give proof of his healing, is marturion, which in the Greek means a, a testimony, a witness. He's saying, this gift is a witness to your cleanliness. And it's a witness to your obedience to God. In other words, our obedience helps to give others a chance to see what Jesus has done. So this summer, we may not be traveling far and wide to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. We may not be traveling cross-culturally or to some foreign land, but that doesn't mean that we can't be missional right here, right now, in our very own backward uh, yards. We have an opportunity to spread the fame of Jesus, to share the good news of who Jesus is and what he's doing right now, right where we are. Like the crowd that listened in as Jesus preached his sermon on the mount to his disciples, there are people who can listen in on Jesus at work in your life if you'll let them. But you have to invite those people into your life to be close enough to, to see and hear and know the circumstances of your life and how you are living in obedience to God and trusting Jesus. If you want the life and teachings of Jesus to become more known in your neighborhood, for Jesus' name to become more famous, 
then you'll have to challenge some of those preconceived notions and the religious and social stigmas you let influence you because, because they're keeping you from getting close to your neighbors. Lastly, if you want to see the families of our neighborhood overwhelmed by and transformed by the love of Jesus, then living in obedience to God's word has to be a priority for you. Your obedience to God's word is your testimony to God's authority in your life. You are not the highest authority. It is not your, your, your life, your body, your mind, your soul is not your own. You've been bought with a price. So church, have a staycation. Don't think that this is a chance for us to sit back and do nothing. There's opportunity right now, right in your own backyard. Let's make the most of it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you that, uh, Lord, it's, we are not Jesus. We are not the ones with the, to, to teach with authority and tell people how to live their lives. You have given us your word to guide and direct and to invite us into an abundant life. You invite people to draw near, to be so close to hear your heart, the, the desire of your heart to make them whole and to cleanse them. And yet, Lord, you are calling us to be a part of this grassroots campaign to, to make your name great, to, to raise up the fame of Jesus in this area so that others might come to seek you out for themselves. Lord, I pray that you would put faces and names on our hearts and minds this morning of those people who need to be close enough to us to look into our lives and to see Jesus at work in our lives so that they too might be astonished and draw near to him and explore his proclamations of themselves. So Lord, use us this summer. May this not be a break or a vacation from life with you, but may it be a season of fruitfulness in seeing your kingdom grow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.